Hey, this is Jared Wellman. I'm the lead pastor at Tate Springs, and this is our podcast. God is telling a story of hope and redemption. Hope and redemption. Redemption that can only be found through Jesus Christ. I hope that this is a blessing and inspires you to discover your part in God's story. Amen. Go ahead and take your copy of God's Word with me this morning. Turn to the book of Romans as we continue our series, When in Rome. I hope the series has uh, blessed you so far and, and edified you and given you, you some insight into how you can navigate your way through our modern-day Rome. As you're turning there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever walked into a room and immediately felt out of place? Uh, just by that kind of like hum, I, I think a lot of us, a lot of us have. Uh, some years ago, uh, nearly a decade ago, when I, my, my first, let me tell you about my first interaction with the executive committee, all right? Uh, kind of bookend it for you. And so uh, my first interaction, I, I was put on the thing about a decade ago. And, uh, and so I get invited to this uh, orientation in Nashville, Tennessee. So I, go, I, I get this letter and I read this letter and it says, uh, we're inviting you to come to Nashville for a two-day orientation uh, for this new position you're serving on in the convention on the executive committee. And when I read it, uh, sometimes I tend to read, uh, speed read pretty fast, uh, which is good insofar as I can get a lot of information read, which is, but it's bad because sometimes I miss the information I'm reading. And so uh, when it came to the dress code, uh, I, I could swear it read business casual which isn't that big of a deal now, 10 years later, but back then it was apparently a bigger deal as I'll tell you in just a second. So I thought it said business casual, so I dress nicer than I am right now. I'm wearing slacks, a tucked in shirt, collar, long sleeve shirt, and I go to this thing when I show up and I walk into the room and I realize uh, uh, that I am severely underdressed in this room full of Southern Baptists uh, who are wearing their, their ties and their coats and their whole, their whole suits, really. So I go through this thing and I just think, oh, no big deal, you know, it's a couple days. Well, then at the end, they do a picture and, uh, and they kind of put me in the back and hide me in the picture. <laughs> That's not the worst part. I'm in the airport, you know, I'm like, oh goodness. And I hate being undressed. So I, I'm in the airport and I'm like, I'm glad that's over. It was two uncomfortable days. And, uh, and this guy who was also new from New Mexico on the, on the committee, he, he sees me in the airport. I'm not kidding at all with what I'm about to share with you. He, he walks up to me in the middle of the airport, and he says, son, he says, do they have suits uh, where you live? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, sir, uh, son, do you own any of these suits that they have where you live? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, son, we wear suits to these things. And then he just turned around and walked off. And I was just like, whoa, okay, welcome to Southern Maps Convention, you know? <laughs> and so my first and my last interactions uh, were, not, were uh, left something to be desired, in other words, when it comes to that. So I was really uncomfortable. Now, I share that because as Christians, we tend, uh, we tend to feel uncomfortable in the world, or we ought to, because what we believe, what we believe is out of step with what the world believes. And it's getting more and more like that. It's getting harder and harder to hold on to the traditions that we've always believed as followers of Jesus. And so people wanna tell us that the things that we believe about life in the womb or about marriage or whatever it may be, that, that they're handcuffs for us. But we understand they're more as handrails that, that give us the ability to really navigate our way in this chaotic world. And so more and more, we walk out of our front doors into a world that we increasingly feel uncomfortable in. And this was true for the first century Christians, the first century believers. 
uh, in a variety of ways. Religiously, uh, Christians in first century Rome were monotheistic, whereas citizens in Rome were polytheistic. We talked about the Roman pantheon, and so they believed all of these different deities. You, you had a pick of the litter. Uh, they, Christians were, uh, were often called atheists uh, in this day and age because they didn't believe in the Roman gods, but because they believed in, in the God of the scriptures, the God who is Lord, the one true God. Uh, and we even talked a little bit uh, a couple weeks ago about how people in that day and age would believe that emperors uh, were deities. And so if you were a believer in Jesus, then you were out of step with the world. So religiously, socially, first century Christians were out of step with the world. Uh, the world would have festivals um, that were like holidays and Christians would not participate in these things and it would be noticeable and it might have made them seem antisocial or even unpatriotic to, part, to not participate in some of these things. I have a neighbor right now who really loves Halloween. I mean, they love it like we love Christmas. And, and, you walk, and you walk out and it's just, they were out there all day decorating, all day. And it's just every day you go out there, there's, there's a whole new spider web or, or, or witch's brew or whatever, just kind of put out there in the front yard. And it wigs me out because they have all these figures and I just think someone's always watching me in my, in my neighborhood, you know? And, and, and so, uh, you know, as Christians, we kind of try to Christianize that, that holiday and we have the trunk or treat and we say safe costumes and things like that. And so it's noticeable sometimes in those kinds of differences. Economically, Economically, Christians would have struggled more in first century Rome because they wouldn't participate in certain trades. You remember Paul uh, to the city of Corinth, he talked about uh, meat sacrifice to idols. And so there was a tension about whether or not Christians ought to, to go to certain markets or, or participate in certain trades. And so Christians were outsiders. Yet, yet look with me at verse eight of Romans one. It says this, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed where? Throughout the whole world. Man, they are outsiders in Rome, religiously, socially, economically, and yet they have a faith that is touching the whole world for Jesus Christ. That's powerful. And so the question then comes for us, which is how can a small group of outsiders in such a powerful world dominating city have a faith that touches the whole world? And the answer has to do with this, their togetherness. And I'm not sure if I made that word up or not, but that's what we're gonna, how we're gonna say it today, togetherness. Everyone say togetherness. So this is what is, is happening with their faith. It's this witness, this testimony that in a place where they are all outsiders, all, all of these outsiders have come together and have a faith in Rome that is reaching the world for Christ. And Paul says, I wanna to come to you. I wanna leave where I'm at and I wanna come see what's going on there in Rome. And so the idea is that the whole world was touched by the faith of the Roman believers because they were in Christ while they were in Rome. And church, this is a powerful message for us today. It shows the power of faith in the one true God in the most powerful country in the world. And I don't know how much more relevant we can get than that. We always ask, how can we reach the world for Christ? Paul's gonna show us today. How can we make a difference, not only in our community, but in the world for Christ? Paul's gonna show us today. So here's today's sermon in a sentence. It says, our togetherness in our modern Rome can set an example of faith that touches the world for Christ. So I wanna show you three different benefits of togetherness in verses eight all the way through verse 15. And the first one is this, that together 
we can give. Together we can give. Look with me at verse 11. Paul says this, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. So, so Paul says here that he longs to see the Romans so that he may impart to them some kind of spiritual gift, some kind of spiritual gift, which in this context, the word spiritual really has the root word in Greek for the, the intimation of the Holy Spirit. And the word gift is, uh, is where we get the word charisma from. In fact, that's what the Greek word is. And so it's, a, it's really gifts related to the Holy Spirit, or you could even say gifts of the Holy Spirit that are for edification of the church, edification for believers, for you, for them, for all of us. And so there, there are lists of these whenever you go through the, the, uh, the discovery workshop here to become a member of Tate Springs, we talk about the different biblical gifts and how that applies uh, to you today. We're not gonna get into the types of gifts, nor are we going to get into the theology of con- what's called continuationism or cessationism, which are just fancy ways of saying which gifts are still continuing on and which gifts are not continuing on and are instead more miracles. We have other venues to talk through all those things, including the workshop. But what I wanna do today is I want you to look in verse 11 at that word impart, the word impart. For I long to see you so that I may impart some kind of gift to you, some kind of spiritual gift to you. The word impart means to share. It, It means to give a share of, and it carries the idea of giving something that you possess so that you may be a blessing to someone else. But here's a little shade of the nuance of the meaning of the word that's super important for us. Because the underlying idea is that the imparting doesn't take away from you, but enhances everything. So when you impart, when you give, you're doing so in a way that, not, that doesn't take anything away from you, but enhances everything around you. And, uh, and so how can we do that? How can we give away, but yet it add? Um, I remember a conversation some years ago in a church I previously pastored and, and there was a family we were talking to and the, the husband and the wife uh, were just kind of, they were having a friendly disagreement, you could say, about whether or not they should have a third child. And uh, the husband didn't even want a second child and the wife wanted a third child and maybe even a fourth. And, uh, and so they were talking and, um, and of course, you know, they, they pulled their pastor into the conversation and both were like, fix him or fix her. And, um, and so we were conversing about it and I, and I remember the wife's argument. She said, um, she said to her husband, she said, love doesn't divide, it multiplies. That was, her, that was her answer. I think that's what Paul is talking about here. What he's saying here is that, is that this kind of imparting, this kind of gift is not something that, that divides and, and, and conquers and takes away. What it does is, is it multiplies. It's just the math is miraculous, is what he's saying. That when we're together, we're able to give in a way and impart in a way that we otherwise cannot, cannot do. So in a few months or in a couple of months, can you already believe, we, we, this is October 1st. It's hard to believe that we are already in fall. Doesn't feel like it yet, but we're, here we are in October. And uh, in a couple of months here in this place, uh, Christmas Eve will be on Sunday and we will have a candlelight service, which is a, one of the best events we hold all year. This place, people come from the community and it's just a, such a traditional sweet time together as we stop in the hustle and bustle of the, the Christmas season. And what will happen is I'll stand right down here with a, a singular candle that is lit. And all of you and many community members and family members will also be holding a candle that is unlit. And then I'll take 
um, a lighter and I will light that candle and I'll walk over here and here and here and I'll begin lighting candles. And then suddenly that person will light a candle and that person will light a candle. And suddenly you start seeing this whole dark room light up with all these candles. But yet I'm still standing here with my candle as I've imparted it to others who imparted it to others. There is nothing, no energy, no flicker of flame that was taken away from the candle that I held and uh, that I will be holding in my hands. And that's the meaning of the word impart here. And so what Paul's desire is, is to impart some spiritual gifts that would not diminish anything in him, any of his spiritual strength, but it would multiply and enhance and strengthen the spiritual environment of the Roman believers. Now listen, today, this is cultural because today we live in a self-preservation kind of world. Forbes in 2017, just not that long ago, reported that the three wealthiest Americans hold more wealth than the bottom 50% of the country. And so while saving is wise and while there's nothing wrong with just being a good steward of your money and, and such, excessive hoarding when others are in need speaks to a deep crisis in our culture that, that we seek to, to preserve our own. And, uh, and we saw this with the COVID pandemic. So if, we're, if we think, well, I don't have that much money, so he's not talk, Pastor Jerry's not talking about me. I'm not one of the three wealthiest people in America. But just ask yourself for a minute, how did you respond during COVID when we went to the grocery stores? Were, were we the ones who, were, who, who, who looked at a whole shelf full of toilet paper before they had the standards on there and said you could only buy one or two and you just threw it all in your cart for, we still don't know why people were doing that, by the way. <laughs> Hand sanitizer, I get it. Toilet paper, I, I, I don't understand it, and I never will. We'll be telling our, our grandkids about it one day, and they'll say, why, grandpa? And i say, I don't know, son, grandson. <laughs> but, but how did we act? Did we, were we the ones who, who thought, well, I'm gonna make sure that I'm taken care of, and then we, when, when we heard of neighbors in need, did we share? Did we impart any kind of help to people, or did we just say, well, this is it? And when you think logically about it, it doesn't make any sense, because let's just say the worst thing happened which is that our neighbors ran out of food and toilet paper and then died because of it. And then we just have, what, three more days worth of food? I mean, there's no point in it. Life, the meaning of life is so much deeper than just stocking our pantries with more stuff. It's about sharing the gifts that God has given us spiritually, sharing the gifts that God has given us physically, sharing the gifts God has given us emotionally. And so what Paul's saying here is that the cross calls us to a counter-cultural generosity. And so we are called together to give. Our togetherness is partly in order to give. Here's a second benefit that we see of togetherness. It's that together we share. Look with me at verse 12. He says, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. So he's talking about that when he comes to them together, that they will be able to share. So the, the, look at the phrase there, encouraged together with you there in verse 12. That provides a glimpse into Paul's heart for the Roman believers, his desire to come to them. Remember, uh, beginning in verse eight and in verse 9 and 10, he says at the end of verse 10 that he desires to come to them because he, he's heard about their togetherness, about how their togetherness has produced a faith that's reaching the world for Christ. He says, when I come together uh, with you, I will be encouraged together with you. And this word encourages parakaleo, which means to call near, to invite, to comfort. And in its root, it, it draws this picture for us of comfort, of encouragement, and it emphasizes this mutuality among believers. 
It's not just Paul coming to impart gifts, in other words. It's them also uh, imparting gifts as well. It's a two-way street, in other words. Now, last week, we had a uh, men's camp out and, uh, and, uh, in um, Mineral Wells area. And while we were there, uh, some of the guys went rock climbing. I've been rock climbing before. I didn't go this time, but I think that's, that's where I, I went when I, last time I went. And it's been a while. And, uh, and so when you rock climb, it, there's, there's this necessary thing, unless you're, just, unless you're just really dangerous and you like to live on, on the wild side, called the laying, where someone holds a rope that literally holds you up if you slip and fall. So last time I went, we did this suicide uh, rock climbing, which was more like rock falling, where you put the harness on backwards. I was young, I would not do this now. You put it on backwards and uh, you run down the side of the cliff like this. you know. And so someone's just kind of, holding it uh, to protect you from falling face down on, on the rock. And, and uh, that's an important part of rock climbing. Uh, and that seems pretty dangerous, but it's pretty safe when you have someone who's holding the rope for you. Now, mountain climbing is a whole other animal. Uh, mountain climbing, you can't really have someone belaying. What you have is tethering. And tethering is you're standing at the base of a mountain, you're looking up at it, you see the clouds that are, uh, the mountain is so high, the clouds are touching the peak and you look at your friend and you take this rope and you just tether yourself together. And sometimes if you're climbing like a Mount Everest, you're gonna have a lot of people tethered together. Why? Because as you're climbing this mountain, if one person slips and falls, the rope is everything that's holding them together. Some mountain climbers have jokes, which is when you do it alone, you fall by yourself. When you do it with multiple people, you just fall all together. And, and, but the point is you're tethered together. And, and, and so if, if you're stable and someone's going, you, you, you move and you stop and then someone else moves and they stop. But if they slip, they can dangle there as you, as you lift them back up. And that's the kind of picture that Paul is giving us here is that when the moments get difficult in these perilous moments, this tethering becomes crucial. And our spiritual lives are like this. Because listen, we go through stuff Life, we, we try to live sometimes safe lives where we, something happens bad and we say, well, I'm just gonna avoid everything and avoid challenges because I don't wanna go through that. Listen, you cannot escape challenges. It's baked into the DNA of creation. It's just the way it is. Uh, Satan is gonna find you even if you lock yourself in your house all by yourself, you're still going to produce evil in this world. We're all part of that fabric. And so when challenges happen, even injustices, we have to ask ourselves, how are we gonna to respond to these things? And if we're all by ourselves, if we're all by ourselves, this, this is where the dark things happen. When, when someone leaves a note and they take their life, they do it by themselves. But when someone's there to encourage them and speak life into them and remind them that their life has value and meaning and purpose, it helps them from, from doing one of the worst things that they could ever do. And so there's a power to being tethered together with common believers like the Romans were. Now juxtapose the idea of, of rock or mountain climbing with people tethered together with you to, to this documentary, which is the most heart racing documentary I've ever seen in my life. My heart was racing literally as I watched it. I think I watched it during COVID. It's called Free Solo. You guys heard of this? And so this guy, Alex, he goes to Yosemite and he decides that he is going to climb El Capitan, which, is, which means the captain mountain. And it's this, this tall slanted mountain. And he does it without, not only without being tethered to anyone, he does it without any help at all. He took what I have, all the equipment that I'm wearing right now to climb a mountain, probably better shoes. And he goes and he climbs this mountain and he just sets up a camera and, and they just watch him. 
And you're just, the whole time he goes higher and higher and he's on these little bitty, it's like, it's like the, uh, the edge of a Flintstone that he's holding on as he's climbing up. And it just makes your heart race because one slip and it's a long fall and there's nothing, there's no tethering there. And he was able to make it, but listen, that's a scary way to live your life. And it's an unnecessary way to live your life as a Christian. So often uh, as a pastor, I hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, I don't need to go to church. I can have church right here on my couch. That's just not the way the scriptures portray uh, Christianity. Christianity is always rooted in the context of community. When Jesus taught us to pray, he taught us to pray our father who is in heaven. He didn't say my father who is in heaven. We take in our American Western culture, we always individualize our faith. He's my Lord and savior. And yes, that's true, but he's our Lord and savior. He didn't just die on the cross for me. He died on the cross for the world. And we are part of this world that he, uh, that he has made. And, and, so, and so we don't have to live our lives alone. And Paul realized that, listen, if there was a Christian in the history of Christianity who could live his life alone, it would have been the apostle Paul. He's given his resume in the scriptures. He's a man who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. And yet he wanted to go and be in the community of the Roman believers. He's a man who intimates that he saw heaven, and yet he's one who wants to go and be in the Christian community in Rome. He's one who saw incredible miracles that we don't see today, and yet he knew the value of being together with the early believers in Rome. Why? Well, he tells us right there in the verse the uh, the idea of being together for the purpose of sharing. So giving, the benefit of being together helps us to give. The benefit of being together helps us to share. And and thirdly and finally, the benefit of being together helps us to receive. Look with me at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I've planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Look at the word obtain or the phrase obtain some fruit or reap or harvest, depending on what translation you're using. Paul here is expressing a longing to obtain some fruit among the believers in Rome. And we think of Paul, we think of a church planter, we think of a missionary and apostle. We often view him as the one who's giving. Very, very uh, rarely do we uh, think of him as one who's receiving benefits or receiving blessings. He's the one who imparts gifts, not necessarily the one who receives. But here, He gives us a great example and says, no, I'm coming to you because I wanna receive a blessing. I wanna receive a gift as well. I wanna obtain something. He wants to receive this. This idea of fruit is a a biblical metaphor in the scriptures. Many of our minds have already gone there, but in many places in the scriptures, it symbolizes this tangible evidence of the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. And so we know what Paul tells the church in Galatia about about fruit. He, He talks about love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and so on and so forth. In, in, in the context of Christianity, for, for time's sake, I can't delve into this too much, but what I can tell you is this, that I'm seriously concerned about the Christian community in today's age, because what we have are a bunch of people who have a lot of conviction, but no compassion. And we spend more time holding conferences to divide the Christian community than to unite the Christian community. And so we'll take little things that are tertiary. I'm not talking about primary issues now where Jesus is Lord and so on and so forth. I'm talking about tertiary issues where we wanna take this, this tent of the Christian uh, religion and we wanna, we wanna bring it down so much where we say, you know, if you're wrong about the age of the earth, for example, then you're not a Christian. 
Who cares how old the earth is? It doesn't change one thing. God made it, that's what matters. But yet what we do is we hold these, these conferences where we divide in, uh, the Christian community and all of a sudden we have two people left who are just bickering about who's the, who's the Christian, who's the better Christian, who's the only Christian in the world. And listen, that's not the kind of image and vision that Jesus had for the church. He had one of being together. He had one of, of coming uh, together. And so the Christian community is, is one that's reciprocal. And in the body of Christ, as we give, we also receive. When we support, we're supported. When we encourage, well, we're encouraged. We're uplifted in return. And when we contribute to another spiritual growth, we inevitably find our own faith being nourished and fortified. I wanna read something to you. I'm reading this book right now by Chris Paul. He is a, um, uh, an NBA player uh, right now for the Warriors. Um, Jesse, since I just texted Jesse during, or earlier during the service because there was a guy that was traded to his team that they thought was gonna get traded to the Warriors. No, that has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I don't know what I'm talking about. But here in 101, it's because it was Jesse's favorite team that this guy got traded to and I was upset about it. That's why. Because now his team's better than my team. So Chris Paul says this. He's talking about, uh, he was raised Southern Baptist, which I didn't know and I thought that was pretty cool. And he's, and he's talking about being raised in North Carolina in the African-American context and, uh, and what the church has done, what the church has done for his community. Now listen to this. Church has always been an amazing way to bring black people together, no matter where you're from. You can go on any corner in any major city or approach a group of young black people in the South and I guarantee you, you won't find a person that doesn't have stories about their family church. And when it comes to church, everything gets much smaller. I love this. And this is how community is built. When it comes to church, everything gets much smaller. And he says, this is how community is built. To give a little context to the importance of the church, Christianity is the reason so many captured, he's talking about slavery, black people learned to read and this education led to freedom. Let me tell you what he's saying here. He's talking about a country that in Washington, they devalued the Imago Dei so much so that they enslaved people, that they said, you are less valuable than this other person simply based on skin color. It's as ridiculous as saying you're less valuable because of your eye color or you're less valuable because of your hair color. But the church recognized that there was this transcendent kingdom that transcends whatever Rome is manifesting itself in our modern day and age. And he says that local small community is what helped people realize that they were made in the image of God. And that little small thing that happened in all these little local contexts, these local churches began to, to rise up in a way in this, in this country to change what was happening in Washington. And so this is what Paul's talking about here when he's talking about the blessing of receiving, the blessing of receiving gifts. And, and so the idea is that our local church is like this library of biographies. Each and every one of you have this story that God is writing in your life. And we always say, discover your part in God's story. Not God, discover your part in my story, but we need to discover our part in his story. And we discover our part in his story. And then what we do is we come together and we can each hear these stories and, and it encourages us in this mighty powerful way. And so together this benefit is that we get to receive these gifts. So we've seen the benefits of togetherness, but beyond these, there's a larger narrative at play, and this is how I wanna end, which is this, the benefit of the benefits. The benefit of the benefits. Once you look back with me at verse eight. 
He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout Arlington? No. Okay, throughout uh, the DFW Metroplex? No. Throughout Texas? No. The United States? No. North America? No. The whole world. The whole world. Their faith is reaching and touching the whole world. Now look in verse 14. He gives a little bit more specificity to it. I'm under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. The barbarians were called such because people didn't understand them. And it sounded like, they, it was a different language, so it sounded like this, bar, 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 bar. So they called them the barbarians. And, and so in other words, it was, these are the people that are most outside and yet the gospel invites them into a community. So the Jews, the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, the foolish. Thank God for that last part for some of us, right? And so I love this because then as I was looking at this this past week, I thought, how? How are they reaching the world? Because I have people all the time ask me, Jared, how can I make a difference? The world is going crazy. How can I make a difference? I have an answer for you this morning because the word of God has an answer for you this morning. Look with me at verse 15. The answer is this. For my part, Paul says, my part in God's story, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The gospel. It's preaching the gospel. It's evident that their faith had a ripple effect, that it was a flame that began to spread throughout the whole world. But here, here's how this breaks down. And this is, this is the the very practical application part of this message for you. Because if you're wondering, how can I make a difference? How can I be that little flame that then shares and gives? Uh, uh, how can I make that kind of difference in this world? A lot of us, I'm, I'm convinced of this, think of the way we accomplish that is by a top-down hierarchy. Meaning that the way we think we save the world is through the government. And guess what? We've, we've been giving, the local church has been giving away our responsibilities to earthly governments for a long time now. They're defining marriage. They're defining life. I mean, they're taking the things that God created and made and they're giving definitions of it, which by the way, don't coincide with God's definitions. And, and, and we think, well, we can, we can fix it. And I understand this, by the way, I, I have empathy for this kind of mindset. I've, I've, I've lived in this kind of mindset for some time in my life. I just think, I've come to believe that it's incorrect because we think, well, if we save the government, then we'll save the world. That's not the way that we save the world. That's a top-down hierarchy. Even if we got in control of the United Nations and we had the guy at the very top of that organization, it still would not save the world. It would not save the world any more than Constantine legalizing Christianity and ancient Rome saved the world. It just created a bunch of pretend Christians, just nominal Christianity. So what Paul's giving us here is this, not a top-down hierarchy, but a bottom-up hierarchy. One that begins not in the, the United Nations, not in North America, not in our country, not in our state, not even in our local community, but really around the dinner table. The most powerful thing you can do as a follower of Jesus is sit around the dinner table and open up your Bible and talk about Jesus. Disciple the ones that are around your dinner table, especially if that happens to be a family. 
Now, if you're someone who's young and not married, have lunch and dinner with fellow young singles. This can look in a bunch of different ways with friends. Just don't be alone, in other words. But open up the Bible and just talk about what God says about stuff and then think God's thoughts after him. Do that in the home and then do that also in places like what we're doing today. Listen, forgive me, but I'm gonna use Lord of the Rings again because it's a powerful metaphor. But when Frodo, you'll understand this, when Frodo left the Shire, in the story, if you don't know it, he has a ring, he's gotta go all the way from the west to the east to throw it in a big lava mountain. That's the story, it's awesome. And he's gotta throw it in this, this mountain to destroy it. And it, it will literally save the world if he accomplishes that thing. But you know what? Frodo didn't leave the Shire and think, I gotta go save the world. Do you know what he was thinking? I just need to save the Shire. That's all he was trying to do. A lot of us think we have to save the world and that's not how you save the world. You save the world by saving those around you, leading those around you to the salvation, to state it better, that can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you wanna know, there's been a lot of talk about revolution in our modern day. Revolution is not marching up some steps to the Capitol and trying to take over a building and saying, this is how we win the day. No, revolution is what's happening right now. Look around you, that's revolution. Revolution is what's happening right now in this worship hour where we have this book in these hands and it's opened up and we're talking about the one single true Lord. This is revolution. And when we are encouraged around dinner tables and when we are encouraged in this place, we leave this place as ambassadors more than anything of the kingdom of God. And that's where our citizenship is more than anything. And the beauty of Paul's vision is in its simplicity. It doesn't start in palaces, but it starts in homes. It, it doesn't start with kings, but it starts with commoners by focusing on the family and focusing on these local communities. And then that faith radiates, radiates outward all the way to touch the world for Jesus Christ. And so the paradox here is this, that by standing firm together in these small local communities like Tate Springs Baptist Church, in a city where we feel like outsiders, in a nation like Rome where we are on the outside, it sets ripples of faith across the whole globe. And that's what we're doing here today, to proclaim the glory of the one true King, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how can this happen? I wanna give you two tools and then we'll be done. The first one is this, and invite your one. And so we have invite your one. This is an annual thing. We have a lot of new members. And so you're probably thinking, what is this? It's, it's in the title. And so this is, if this was all we did, by the way, to reach people for Christ, we would, we would be failures. This is just one little thing that we like to do. Um, and, uh, and so what we have is we just in, encourage you to think of one person, just one person in your life who right now is far from the Lord. Could be a neighbor, a family member, someone in this community is really what we encourage. And then to pray for them daily, uh, to, to care for them in some way. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And then to invite them to a service on October 29th where they will hear the good, good news of Jesus and then hopefully respond and God will call them to himself on that day. So write this date down, be praying about your one. Uh, in, in the next few weeks, you're gonna see cards and such uh, in, the, uh, in the foyer. And you can take that card and you can write that. You don't have to do this, we encourage you to do it. But to take that name, write it down and drop it in that box that's gonna be there. And, and I'll be praying for them as well. And so will the church staff. So invite your one is one thing you can be doing in this local community to touch the world for Jesus, bring them together. And here's a second thing you can be doing at all times, it's bless every home. 
This is our bread and butter for missions and evangelism. It's not just going on a plane somewhere on the other side of the world for a week or two. It's the, the long suffering work of loving those around us, being missionaries in our own places. So bless every home. Let me give you some quick stats that I looked at just recently, just as early as this morning. We have 1,333 adopted homes, which amounts to about two homes per active member of our church. We have 28,297 prayers that have been prayed. We have 71 touches, which means it's cares. It means uh, when we have our care weeks, we have 71 times that has happened. We have 34 gospel presentations. We have 19 being discipled. And, uh, and so it's a really amazing thing. So you go to blesseveryhome.com, you, you sign up for free, you connect your profile to the church and it gives you all the information of those around you and you get email reminders every week about who to pray for. And then during care week of the church, we have bags out there. You, you just drop a bag at their door with toilet paper in it, right? Some stuff that they need in case, in case this fall, they try to shut things down again, which by the way, we're not gonna do here again. We've already been there and done that. But if they're trying to do it, it, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to, it's prayer, care, and share. And you can do these things. You can do these things. And so if you're asking, Pastor Jared, what can I do? Listen, a lot of times we say, well, go vote. Yes, go vote. Just don't think that you're gonna save the world by doing that. Could do some good if God decides it. But the true reason for our life is not to win any kind of government. It's to lead people to Jesus Christ because that's where we get, as we sung earlier, that's where we get eternal life because we can win all the things we wanna win here in this country, but if we lose our souls then we've lost everything, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Who do you know whose soul is lost? And right now they are a breath, a heartbeat away, a heartbeat away from eternal damnation. Lord, may you break our hearts for these people. And may we have the courage to simply invite them to church or just pray for them on a weekly basis. Our togetherness, this, and our modern Rome can set an example of faith that touches the world for Jesus. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we, we call out to you this morning, confessing that, Lord, we are desperately in need of your supernatural power. God, it's so easy to get distracted with the things in front of us, so easy to get divided. Lord, our homes, our Christian homes have been divided around Thanksgiving tables over earthly politics where we can't even as a family sit around. And Satan loves that because if he divides the dinner table, then what hope does Gotham have? So Lord, I wanna pray that this revolution this place, these services, this local church community, that when we come together, Lord, that you would use this church to cause ripple effects and that our goal would not to be just to cause ripple effects, but Lord, that our goal would be to to just to save the shire, to to lead our children to Jesus, to, to see our community change for Christ. And Lord, that you would do all the work, not us. But today, Lord, in this moment, I pray that as we respond in this song, that you would break our hearts, oh Lord, for those who are broken and and lost around us, that right now you would, by the power of your spirit, that Lord, you would convict us of those around us who need prayer, who need to be cared for, who need to to have the gospel shared with them. Lord, maybe, maybe in this moment, you would lay those names on our hearts so that we can be faithful to respond to you. So Lord, we, we give this moment to you.
And we pray this in the powerful name of the one and only Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. At Tate Springs, we believe God is telling a story of redemption that can only be found in Jesus Christ. If you'd like more information on how you can have that kind of a relationship, please visit tatesprings.com and let us know. We love you and want to help you discover your part in God's story.